Welcome to the Asset Talk. Today we are with Dr. David Hardun, who is uh, the Senior Advisor for Data and AI Artificial Intelligence at Union Bank. David, welcome. Thank you very much, Daniel. To kick off our conversation, David, it's a curiosity. What prompted you to become Union Bank's Senior Advisor for Data and AI? Well, Daniel, I like to call myself you know, a geek before it was cool. I am truly passionate and, fa uh, and interested in the world of data. Now, one of the things that Union Bank and particularly have been doing over the last several years, which has been astounding, is really putting in place all the infrastructure and the pillars of digitalization and engagement effectively. Now, why that's important and why that's kind of a prelude to my interest is because there's no AI without data. There is no data without infrastructure. So in a position now whereby there's a lot of information available from the various channels, from the various engagements with individuals. So that's number one. And number two is that true ambition and agenda of how to better serve existing and new customers of the bank. Tell us a little bit about yourself, David. You say you were a geek before it became cool. And <laughs> I guess choosing the two areas, right, both data and AI today, probably the hottest segments in the technology space. How did you end up doing all of that? Well, I started my journey with the alignment of the term of being a geek in academia. So I was an academic for many, many years. In fact, I'm pretty sure my mother is still disappointed that I didn't become a professor, <laughs> half joking on that one. As I mentioned, I became very infatuated with not just looking at the theory behind data, looking at what is the potentiality, but truly materializing it, operationalizing it, in lack of a better word. And I found myself rolling from academia to consultancy, to services, to software, and these different dimensions of what does it take in order to take an idea, to take a problem, or even just a futuristic ambition, and truly put the pieces of the puzzles of the Lego together to make it happen. That kind of, it, it, how it rolled out effectively. Mm. And it just so happened that today we're facing a lot of issues around data and AI. And going to Union Bank is quite different, I guess, from your role as a chief data officer at uh, MAS. And how do you see that role different? in a sense, now that you're working with Union Bank. No, absolutely. And of course, sitting within a, a regulator and central bank, the perspective is very much from a primarily policy and governance and looking at the entire financial industry. To your question, the, the key difference and what makes it fascinating is now taking this agenda of how do we balance governance with innovation driving innovation, but now from within effectively, being on the ground, being very close to the end consumers, the customers, which are effectively you and me, rather than being, you know, one arms removed as a regulator would be, because a customer of the regulator is the financial institutions. And uh, David, I'm sure the challenge from a governance standpoint is ensuring that everything works out for the community. And from the standpoint of an institution like Union Bank, it's really about how to better engage with the, my clients and so on. And when you talk about innovation and governance, they seem to be an oxymoron, i.e. either you're truly innovative or you have regulation in place that may stymie that sort of innovation. I would have believed that. I mean, in fact, I subscribe to that point of view prior to joining a regulator. However, I leave and I am now very much in the point of view that the two are not an oxymoron. It's not a seesaw that the other goes down. It is, in fact, extremely possible to say, I want to innovate. I want to drive us forwards, but at the same time, identifying 
So I almost think of it as the question of rather than can I do it versus should I do it. So it is possible and it is exactly what we are doing. Yeah, given these two sides, right, uh, the governance aspect, the policymaking aspect, and now with Union Bank, maybe share with us what is your approach to data and AI? So I'll give you one example that pops to immediately to mind. I'm sure you've heard of this very large discussion and conversation about the potentiality of unfortunate events that may come from AI, you know, such as discrimination, such as, you know, ethical considerations, the governance, and so forth. Now, as we are, both from a policy-making point of view, governance perspective, from a research standpoint, I mean, that's still being explored, looking at how to make these algorithms more robust, more stable, more trusted, perhaps at a lack of a better word. It is possible to say, well, I am able to use these algorithms, but effectively build safety nets. I am able to build capabilities to identify when it is not behaving quite as much as I would like it. And in fact, if anything, this further emphasizes the importance of having the human in the loop. And that's also a very strong belief, my own, to be very honest with you, of it isn't a matter of having AI replace people. It is now how do we create the synergy of what I call AI of augmented intelligence. So as you can see, there are means, there are ways of creating a balance of governance, safety, trust with innovations as we're learning and identifying more about both what is possible, what can be achieved, and equally, what are the things that we would like to avoid. Today, of course, we're facing one of humankind's biggest challenges, uh, a pandemic, and which we have, none of us have experienced unless you're 100 years old today, right? How prepared were companies and banks, uh, in your opinion, to COVID-19 in their approach to data and AI? I think there are two layers to it. One is in terms of preparedness, and one is, of course, the data and a with the AI component on top of the preparedness. I think largely because of various perceptions, because of perhaps lack of expectation that truly something will happen, that you know, overnight we're unable to go to the office, we're unable to go to a bank to withdraw and so forth, we perhaps were just caught by surprise. However, you will have you know, certain institutions, and Union Bank is one of them, that had started that approach, that started that investment in the infrastructure and the digitalization to provide that service to consumers. So in fact, when there was this kind of shutdown and people need to stay home, consumers need to stay home, everything continued as per normal at large. And that, if anything, has been, of course, you know, COVID-19 and coronavirus is something that we all do not want to happen. But if anything, these kind of true stress tests had evidenced the critical importance of having these infrastructure digitalization, these data capabilities in place. And in fact, where we need to start adapting. For example, do you still need a signature? Can you do it digitally? Do you still need to have a check? Can you do it? Exactly. So these are really almost, almost like soul-searching questions that have been prompted by these situations. So I think there have been some that have been preparing themselves, but very much in terms of providing a better service, a customer-centric service. I think some have found that motivation to do so. David, I'm sure you've heard of the concept called the digital divide. And in a way, COVID-19 must have emphasized this. And the question in my mind is, are we likely to see a bifurcation in terms of performance between those who are data enabled and now using AI versus those who continue to rely on very traditional methods, including understanding customers, right? Now, we're talking about the bank segment or an institutional segment. 
but we also can say that applies to governments overall. What are we seeing there in your view? No, I absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, I would agree with the fact that it's bifurcated, but I think the question is to what extreme is it bifurcated? The recent, well, decade, let alone the recent event, has demonstrated that if you do not have the ability to tap onto this digital dimension of your citizens or your consumers, you are missing out on a dimension. You are not attuned to certain necessities and requirements, especially in the younger generation, which are born into this, everything is an app, everything is digitally available. Now, let's not forget, there is also a bifurcation in terms of accessibility. You still have people who don't have that as, as ease and as uh, fluid access to digitalization, which, by the way, is one of our philosophies of not keeping anyone behind. And we have what we call a bank on wheels. So we actually bring the digital to people. So it's a question of the extreme on how relevant will they stay. I still believe it'll take some time because what you find that we as humans, as consumers, we still have this balance of some things I like digitally, some things I like, I want to see you in person, I want to have that personal touch. But if anything, there is a definitely a swing to that digitalization. And now more so because what we had previously, which was a high touch economy, is moving to a low touch economy. One of the discussion points also in relation to that, of course, is there are what we call smart data, I guess, and there's dumb data, right? In a way, uh -huh. you and I, and I'm sure you've, you must have experienced this, I experienced it when I, for some reason, before COVID, I would Google checking out hotels in Bali, and then suddenly I'm flooded with insights on Bali when I'm just checking it for a friend, right? So what additional insights in a way when you analyze data and deploying AI, can it be improved so that we can actually see more of what we need to see anyway? Yes. Allow me to maybe just give a little plug on what is AI. In the end of the day, AI is about finding similarities. It is about finding differences. So to your earlier question about this bifurcation of the digital versus the non-digital, there's an additional bifurcation. Just because I see that Daniel Yu goes and clicks on a link and therefore that is what you are, that is not very intelligent if we call a spade a spade. And it goes back to the essence of AI. It is about finding similarities and patterns. If it is a one-off, how important is, is that for you? However, if we're seeing a certain trend, if I see that you on a regular basis roughly same time, are sending money to a certain individual. Perhaps I can leverage that similarities, that pattern to say, here's a recommendation that you will go, oh, actually, this is very helpful versus the, you know, the using data as a blunt tool. So fully agree with you. There is a necessity to truly unlock AI in the sense of finding patterns, finding behavior, finding in a mechanism of providing relevant and personalized, if not hyper-personalized services. And personalized services also calls into question a comment you made earlier. I want to drill down a little bit on that. And this is around concerns around privacy, data, and AI. There's a lot of discussion amongst the large internet giants around how they use data and deploy AI. As a data scientist, AI expert, are you just as concerned about how data and AI are being used today? I am, extremely, in fact. However animated I am and biased towards the use of AI and data, I'm equally concerned with respect of it must be done centered on the individual in terms of privacy, consent, and to be quite honest, relevance to a certain extent. 
Now, I have been a long-time uh, supporter of what I call, for lack of a better description, a data regulator, because that is the one thing that if you look at the big tech companies, they don't have. Financial institutions, we have. So if you think about it, in fact, financial space perhaps could be arguably the most regulated space, even more so than healthcare. So that essence about customer centricity, banking secrecy, privacy is baked in. And therefore, it is important that when these services, these use of data, it is centralized on the consent of the individual. So absolutely. Where there is an importance, to be very honest with you, it shouldn't be fear. Going back to our previous discussion about that CISO, it should not be fear. Just because now we're asking for consent, just now that we're basing it on privacy, yes, there may be individuals that will choose not to have certain services or will choose to limit the data. But quite frankly, I believe the vast majority will still be happy to proceed, assuming they attain the, the level of service that they're expecting. But it will build trust and will emphasize that fiduciary responsibility that tech companies have to their consumers. David, I wonder whether this sort of heightened concern around data privacy and the use of AI is a function of the fact that generally governments, especially governments perhaps in this region, are not well equipped uh, to manage and come up with policy issues that is emerging from the greater use of data and AI. You talked about the data regulator. Is this something that you're seeing will happen across this region? going forward? And is this important that, let's say, in the case of MAS, that they should focus on perhaps uh, at some point uh, having a section looking at data regulation? Absolutely. And in fact, if, if I may push back slightly, I don't think it's that they're underprepared or not ready to do it. In fact, I think they are, largely mm. so. I think where perhaps the dissonance occurs is if you look at the traditional approach of regulation, it's quite long-tailed. You have time to review the policies, you know, do surveys, think about them. Do, it, we're talking about years. Where the world of data kind of throws it upside down is that it's happening in days, if not weeks. It, the timescale is a lot more, well, I don't use the word volatile, but fast, expedient. So it's really more of, of that adaptation from what is traditionally done to how do we quickly adapt to it. So that's number one. Once that is more in, in line, and we kind of are seeing happening, um, HKMA have released uh, guidelines with respect to AI, Singapore MAS have done it, Bank of Thailand, and many others in the region have done that. So you see it is happening. Now the question of how do you accelerate it, question number one. And number two, what is the various roles and responsibilities of the different regulators? And that's why I said earlier, a data regulator, because at the end of the day, I'm a financial regulator, I look at finance. Uh, healthcare regulator, I look at healthcare. But data could be the exact same data that goes into both domains. So therefore, who is the one that takes the responsibility? These are some of the more challenging questions that need to be unwound. Given where we are today, how should institutions like Union Bank treat data and deploy AI in analyzing their data? So as I mentioned, it's about understanding consumers. So the way we're using data, data is a representation, a representative of the individual, the company, the organization we're dealing with. And as I mentioned earlier, it is situated on customer service and based on consent and based on privacy. So at the end of the day, I want to give you the best possible service I can. I want to make it embed financial services in what we shall call moments of life and doing so based on your trust in me and your consent. 
the number of institutions, banks that are now accelerating deployment of tools to analyze data and use AI to understand the customers better is growing rapidly. And whether you're in Singapore, you're in Hong Kong or in Manila, that's happening. And I find it fascinating. I take your point that Union Bank certainly has moved ahead of the pack uh, in many respects in a place like the Philippines. But I'm sure you were, David, offered jobs left, right, and center, given your background, and ending up with Union Bank, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, like I said, to me, it's my passion is data. My passion is about operationalizing. And having an institution that has really gone forward in an unparalleled manner has, beyond just a financial objective, but has an inclusivity objective. And remember, 65% of Philippines is outside of the financial traditional financial system, and that's roughly 65 million people, it provides the opportunity, which I truly believe in, where data can do good, not just about services, not just about profit, not just about cost reduction, but truly doing good and helping people. David, Union Bank has uh, embarked on many, many initiatives on data that you and I know about, and certainly it's a brace of the digital strategy in building the business. Blockchain is something that they drink every day type of thinking, right? When you think about Union Bank and after you do your first year at Union Bank, what would be the one, two, or three things you'd like to make happen? Actually, there's several. And, and essentially, it's a buildup of what you mentioned earlier. Having a Union Bank has taken an approach of really thinking about platforms, ecosystems, how to not only enable ourselves as an institution, but also enable others, be it from other actually financial institutions, if you look at the I2I, Rural Network, or down to companies. So it is really about that. To me, one of the many ambitions is how we're able to get to a state whereby it's not just about supporting you as a customer, and a customer could be a corporate, but how through data I'm able to help your customers, how I'm able to actually provide those additional financial services or services across the time ecosystem. And that's, in fact, one of, to me, personally, because at the end of the day, I'm not a financial person. I'm a data person. To me, it's about I don't wake up one day and say, oh, I really would like a loan. No. I'm doing something. I'm either expanding my business or I'm getting married or I'm buying a house. And effectively, data has the ability or the potentiality of helping financial institutions such as Union Bank to be in a point by saying, you didn't just wake up because you want money or you want a loan. You're trying to do something. How can I help you do that? That's one. And the second one is, if you think about the inclusiveness, it is how do we extend this? How do we make sure no one is left behind. How do we provide that intermediate digital, non-digital? Like I mentioned earlier, the Bank of Wheel. It's a digital construct to providing it to those who didn't have a digital accessibility. Same thing. And there's an important agenda from data because we can also help others. We can also help provide those services to everyone across. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a very useful conversation. Thank you very much.